Hello, and welcome to Real Time Strategy, a podcast looking at the gaming industry through the lens of public relations. We are back from our hiatus, and I'm excited to get to it. I'm one of your hosts, Sam Mosier, joined as always by my podcasting partner and co host, Caitlin Redwing. How are you doing today? Hi, I'm good. It's, I'm glad to be back. I know everyone missed us so much, obviously. <laughs> We're feeling fresh, hot off the summer vacation, ready to start podcasting again. Yeah, that's actually why we took a hiatus. I think I tweeted that it was for work. It wasn't. We just we wanted to go on vacations and not work. Yep. And, of course, for our first episode back, it is not just us. We are joined this week for the first time by Triple Point Account Director, Charger Superfan, Sports Metaphor Expert, Nick Shepard. Thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, I'm happy to be here. I'm trying to think of, like, a big sports metaphor <laughs> to make right now and coming up blank, which is probably the first time in my life that I've done that. So, sorry. <laughs> I'm lower. I'm missing the mark immediately. You're telling me you didn't make Sam say that? Just no, to I set didn't. you up. I was like, it, like, could it be first down? I don't know. <laughs> there we go. There we go. I wouldn't. I always enjoy throwing a lot of fun titles in front of guests, and so I couldn't think of one better than you know spur of the moment. Nick is dropping a metaphor that no one but he understands. Um. <laughs> That's a problem that I have for sure. I'll be in these internal calls, and I'll be like, "It's kind of like this," and people will just be giving me these blank looks, and they're I'm like, like mm, "What? Yeah, that what one is didn't work." Sports. We are <laughs> <Right>? gamers. <laughs> like, yeah. So like on third down, when it's like a situation with goal to go, like you really want to be looking at the outside corner, and people are like what we're talking about pr uh anyway you're lucky if like the person you're talking to has touched grass in the past 24 hours when was the last time you touched grass i today i did go out okay. and walk in my yard barefoot sam uh, i'm the new podcast host uh, i'm the captain now touch grass it has been a while i was outside today i went on a run but i i live in the concrete jungle of kansas city so <laughs> <laughs> not a whole lot of grass nearby we only have AstroTurf, so I, I can't tell you the last time I touched grass. It's yeah, fake. I'm gonna. It's green. I need to take advantage of the grass while I have it. We need to update this saying. Uh, you, when's the last time you've touched AstroTurf? <laughs> Don't worry, Caitlin. I've got like all kinds of things that are ready for you. When no, you make it I here. will be going to a Rams game before a Chargers uh, game. Oh. I disagree. <laughs> Not if I have anything to do with it. There are dozens of Charger fans. Like, join the dozens of us. Coming from a betrayed oh. St. Louis, and I, I am hurt to hear that you'll choose the Rams over the Chargers. Solidarity with Sam. Become a Charger fan. You heard it wait, here first. We're breaking wait. news. Why? Uh, we don't need to make this into a sports <laughs> thing. Never mind. We sure can. Say, the, the Rams used to be in St. Louis, and then they moved. Oh, okay. I didn't. Oh, no, I did know that. I... I'm like, I've only been paying attention to football for the past like four or five years. Before that, I grew up in Michigan, which, so I had Matthew Stafford mm. as a quarterback, but for a shit team. <laughs> so the fact that like I can now go watch him play football for however many years he has left, which might not be a lot for a team that's actually pretty decent, I'm going to probably take advantage of it. They just won the Super Bowl. I know. So like, I'm okay. going to go watch okay. the Rams. And then maybe when he leaves, I'll I'll let you can turn me over to the Chargers. All right. I'm, I'm like, I'll prepare like side. a binder. Like I have like a briefing book ready for you <laughs> for when you join the Charger fandom. I mean, I will, you'll never be able to take the Kansas City Chiefs away from me, but <laughs> I gotta go. The Face. look of, of disgust. I'm getting an important client call right now. I gotta, I gotta leave this podcast. I'm actually regretting that we don't video record this podcast because <laughs> that face of disgust deserves to be on the internet. I'm sure there are others. You can find them. <laughs> well, it sounds like in the future we'll be able to say not only Nick Shepard is a Charger super fan, but maybe one day Caitlin Redwing, our second Charger super fan. <laughs> <sighs> Take, place your bets now on if that will happen. <laughs> well, for now, this week on Real Time Strategy, we'll be talking about Gamescom, Nick's PR history, and how to build and sustain hype for a game. But first, Nick, as always, when we have somebody new to the show, we like to ask some getting to know you questions. And we're going to start with a staple. Um, yes, you can answer with more than one game. What is your favorite game of all time? 
Um, I'm not gonna say a client's game here. Like there's, like, I'm like tempted to. Good just, dis- just like, are any of my clients listening? If you're listening right now, I'm intentionally not naming your game. Uh, <laughs> it's gonna be God of War Ragnarok, or not Ragnarok, God of War, Ooh. the Viking reboot. Um, I, I, I love Vikings. This is just like a weird. I'm just like a weird Viking nerd. I always have been. Um, and I don't know. That game is incredible. Like the the mechanics are so dialed and like down to a T and you get like there's RPG mechanics and it's an open world, but it's also a Metroidvania and you know, it, it combines so many aspects of, of so many of my favorite games along with really like a surprisingly emotionally deep story. I think I cried during God of war, which is not something that I expected. You know, you think you're going to be going in there. It's going to be like a chest beady, like, all right, man. And it's like very, not that. Um, so I don't know. That's, that's my favorite game probably of all time. It's very recent. I haven't played it for a while. It's funny. That was the first game that popped in my head when Sam asked you, I had a feeling that was your favorite game. And maybe we've talked about it in a Slack channel at some point, but did, have you played it or have you replayed it with the, the next gen upgrade um i haven't i haven't played it on my playstation 5 and maybe i should i um, just started and it like blew me away i was not expecting the difference to be that visible i'm sold i'll be right in there i'm gonna <laughs> like I, I started um during like one of the great content droughts of the last two years I decided I was going to try to beat that game on like the extreme, oh. most insane difficulty, like true God of War or whatever. And I played it for like two hours and I was like, I, this is torture. Yeah. Um, and so that was the last time that I, I went in there, but now I have a reason to go back in. So yeah. That's and exciting. play it easier. No need to torture yourself and turn it into a souls game. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. I couldn't even make it through the Valkyries on like normal difficulty. I can't, I, I, I respect for anybody who's platinum that game that too tough for me. Good game, though. Yeah. Great game. Now, Nick, another thing I know much about you, in addition to your love for Vikings, is your love for fantasy and sci-fi literature. Um, what are the, you, you, just, you have many layers. And so this layer <laughs> I want to unpeel and ask, turning for this video game show, if you could adapt a fantasy or sci-fi novel or series into a video game, what would it be? I'm going to use one of my media training tricks and turn this into a question back at my hosts. Um, can you guys guess what it would be? I'm curious what, like, I bet you both can get close. I literally, I looked over at my books because I'm like, I feel like I probably own whatever it is you're going to uh-huh. say. Oh, I don't know. Cause I can give, I'll give you, I'll give you the author because that'll, that'll make it a little easier. It's going to be Brandy Sandy. Okay. Yes. Um, I, Brandon Sanderson, for those who are uninitiated, he's, he's the best. He has read his so stuff. many series. Though, I know. So many of them are not finished. Now you and... have to pick, choose between oh, the like Mistborn? 15. Yeah, that, that would definitely be it. I think it's the most video gamey yeah. uh, of any of the books of his that I've read. Um, there's this whole, like, it's like you control all of metal and you can, like, push and pull. And it's very sort of Jedi, but with metal and it's so cool. steampunk and fantasy. And it would just, it would be awesome. Um, I really like HBO. If you're listening to this, like, make that a show, please, so that we can get a video game on it, too. I don't know. Where's please. the head of H- CEO of HBO Discovery? Let's <laughs> let's get on this, bud. Do you- do we want to talk about that? I don't think that's <laughs> the topic we want to bring up right now. No, Maybe don't not. give it to David Zaslav or however you say his last name because oh, I don't know. trust it. <laughs> well, at least these books are finished, so it won't Game of Thrones itself. <laughs> yeah. I need them to finish his dark materials before I let mm. them take on any other fantasy work. New season coming this fall. I know. Uh, like, okay. We're like plugging other people's products. I love this. <laughs> it's my uh, if I, thing to do. yeah, <laughs> big content fans over here. This is right before strategy. the disclaimer too. So now everyone's going to think HBO is our client. They're not. <laughs> no. Before we get to that, I will say just to you know, I want to toot my own horn that I know Nick also as well as Caitlin. That I was also, I mean, Brandon Sanderson top of mind uh, for a reason. We'll discuss in the Gamescom segment, um, but. Um, I was like, is it Stormlight Archives or Mistborn? And, and Mistborn seems like the better video game fit. Yeah. I think it's it. also the most popular. At least the first three books. Most people I know, if they've read any Brandon Sanderson, that is what they start with. That's what I started with and then, like, ventured into other things. It's just... that's It's his gateway drug. Yeah. 
Well, before we dive into more Brandy Sandy talk in our Gamescom segment, one quick disclaimer. Triple Point works with many gaming companies that may come up on this show, including Blizzard, the Pokemon Company, Gearbox, and more. Visit TriplePointPR.com for our full client roster. And on that note, yesterday, or at least at the time of your recording this uh, or listening to this, this week, uh, Gamescom is underway. And it kicked off on Tuesday with Opening Night Live, hosted as always by Jeff Keighley. Um, this was the two-hour showcase that, you know, at, when it started, I think two years ago now, wow, he described it as kind of the finale to the Summer Game Fest season um, before we enter the fall release calendar, and it definitely feels like that. I feel like we're kind of entering the next phase of the gaming year. Uh, so let's break it down. Uh, opening Night Live, what did everybody think? What announcements are you remembering now that we're kind of, you know, coming out of the runway of it? Who's going first? Uh, that's a good question. I mean, do we want to talk about Brandy Sandy? We can keep that. We can talk about Brandy. <laughs> like, we can. We Sandy. can. I mean, like, I, listen, Brandy Sandy announced a video game. I, I'm very excited that he's entering the world of video games. This game is not for me. Um, but I'm excited. Like, my first question uh, very nerdily was like, is it Cosmere? Which is his <laughs> sort of MCU. Um, but. You know, I like. I, I hope it's a good experience for him, and I hope he keeps doing it, as opposed to like I'm really excited about this game. Yeah, uh, that's, that's my feeling there. That's kind of how I felt. I I honestly can't really remember much of the trailer because it started, and I immediately was like, "This isn't my kind of game." And so then I worked <laughs> while that was happening. Um, but I yeah, I hope he enjoys the experience, and maybe it's an opportunity to adapt some of his other worlds into video games because there is tons of potential with his books yeah for those unaware he revealed uh, a game called moonbreaker which he is making uh, in collaboration with unknown worlds the developer of subnautica and while i would normally say this kind of digital tabletop strategy game not my thing there was something about the enthusiasm of the presentation behind it that was very infectious like um i am not one I admire the miniatures crowd, the people who paint uh, and get into it. But as somebody who's not very artsy and especially not great with uh, detail-oriented art, um, a game where you can kind of remove the mess and the risk of you know having it, you know, being able to undo um, with some miniatures based in this sci-fi world written by Brandon San- Sanderson is very exciting, and I like that Unknown Worlds is shaking up their genre with each release um before subnautica they had another kind of rpgs game so seeing them go from that to survival game to tabletop strategy is i i like seeing developers shake it up like that yeah yeah well said what else stood out to you guys i i have i have one more that i'm like really excited about but i can't remember the name (laughs) (laughs) do you explain it maybe we remember the name it was the the sort of Ghosts of Tsushima uh, oh, Dark Souls wind mashup. Meets yes. Where, wind meets water or something. Oh, it's like W where, W where w. winds meet. Where there winds meet. Yes. Yeah, I thought it was incredible. I thought it was going to be a Ghost of Tsushima like DLC when it first started so cuz I was like that's ghost that's a still from it or a clip from it and then it continued and I was like oh it's not but it's just as beautiful and the gameplay just was it, it was all beautiful. It was the best looking trailer, I think, of the night. Very like Assassin's Creed esque mixed with Ghost of Tsushima. Mm-hmm. And I, I'm just I'm a sucker for any any video game where I get like complex sword fights. Yeah. Except for Dark Souls because I'm not good <laughs> enough. Um, but like I, I I don't know I love a sword fight like Ghost of Tsushima those the duel moments. Where they like it was like the recreation of the kind of old like Hirasawa like samurai films like that was, those were so awesome and so badass to play and like really felt like duh this should be in video games but not like it had been and I it, you know every once in a while there's a game that comes out where you're like oh duh like this should be in almost every game and yet it hadn't been and that was just one of those mechanics that I just I fell in love with. I can't even like think of any game I played as a growing up that was like a sword fighting game 
There's like Bushido Blade, but that's a fighting game, and I, I did not play that. <laughs> How about like Zelda? Yeah. Oh, yeah. What? Right? This is the second time I've like forgot. Zelda is an obvious answer. Yeah. I don't know. I just, if you give me a sword or a lightsaber, a lightsaber is even better. <laughs> like, speaking of, where was uh, the Jedi? The, yeah, Jedi Knight <sighs> 2. Not Jedi. Jedi Fallen Order, Order Survivor. Fallen Order. Survivor. No, wait, yes. Jedi Survivor. Yes. Yes. That's actually a decent segue to uh, to Gamescom in general. Um, yeah. I mean, what like I, I'm now I'm taking over as host now because I'm changing. The I topic. love it. It's, you read yeah, my mind. Give, give me and uh, a break. <laughs> yeah. No, I'm asking you guys the questions now. Like, I was curious. Um, I mean, I, I have my own thoughts on this, but how do you guys feel about just like the overall like impact of this Gamescom? Because I, I have my own thoughts, but I'm curious about what you guys thought. It, oh, I have like conflicted thoughts because on one side, I thought it was a very strong showcase of the games that they showed, like the mix of a new trailer mixed with like reveals. And there were lots of new IPs, which I really like to see just because I feel like recently it's just been a lot of sequels or just it's been a lot of the same IP. We know this is a problem in media in general, especially with movies and that such um however some of (laughs) it was mixed with like the the podcast announcement for Hideo Kojima the the car the Pokemon (laughs) car thing which I just felt was weird um disclaimer (laughs) I'm just kidding (laughs) (laughs) um like and those two like happened right after one another and I was laughing so hard because I just was I was like where is this showcase going like why is this here um but I don't know at the same time it the show was ended early (laughs) or on time it didn't go three plus hours like the game awards always goes over that's that happens because you have more variables with that. More people are coming on stage. Um, opening Night Live is mostly just Jeff Keighley um, with a few things of other people joining. Um, but to me, it just it felt like a tighter show. I liked most of what was showcased. It just was those two editions of like non-video game stuff that made me feel like that this is not what the audience is here for. And I don't know how I feel about it overall. I was pretty impressed with this year's opening night live, given my expectations for what it would be. Um, because it's weird place in the calendar, um, you know, summer game fest happens and eat in whatever substitutes we have for E3 now happen in June. We have the fall release calendar and the game awards in December. And I feel like Gamescom kind of is that weird bridge between them where a lot of the new stuff is already shown um, and a lot of the big reveals are waiting for the game awards. So we kind of get this weird moment where it's a bunch of updates for things that are about to come out. But that's how I would off. That was how I would describe opening night live in 2020 and 2021. I was actually really shocked by the number of new games that we saw yesterday. I had, you know, I positioned opening night live in my mind as this is the update showcase. It's where we find out, oh, what's this game up to? I mean, two years ago, it was Ratchet and Clank Rift Apart. Um, it's usually like a Call of Duty showcase. But this year, we got a lot of new games that we hadn't heard of. A lot where they were CGI trailers, but we got gl- brief glimpses of gameplay at the end. Like Atlas Fallen mm-hmm. was one where I was like, okay, like I kind of know what this was. And then we got... 15 seconds of really amazing looking gameplay at the end. That's the perfect hook you want to be like, okay, I'm keeping my eye on when the next time I see this is. Um, So from a content perspective, I was pleasantly surprised there. And also the other issue that sometimes these showcases come up with, especially Jeff's showcases, uh, he's the only one that does it like he does, or, you know, is putting on these kind of third party, um, bringing everybody together under one tent uh, and that's really impressive, but they can tend to be a little long because they have so many people coming together. Um, so it's hard to keep your interest for two hours, but I think he's getting a lot better at finding the pacing of them. When he cuts to developers explaining the games, it's not taking as much time. Um, he's keeping it short and sweet to the basic info you need to know about the game because I think 
a lot of that stuff that comes from the developer interviews is best served after the show. Um, yeah. And so overall, an improvement over past opening night lives, in my opinion. Interesting. Nick. I have, right. oh, sorry. I have a hot take. <laughs> no, 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 Caitlin, Caitlin. I was going to say, because Sam reminded me of one thing that I want to say I really loved, and this wasn't so much about the show in general, but how the um, Dead Island 2 announcement went, where they had the CGI trailer. And then when they were like, oh, it's coming out in February. And I was like, that soon? And we haven't seen gameplay. And it was like the thought crossed my mind. And then they showed the gameplay trailer. Loved that. Like, the... Those two trailers back to back had me so excited and I was like more people should be showing gameplay immediately after a CGI trailer. Even it doesn't have to be a as long as the Dead Island 2 one was. It could just be um Sam what was the other one? The Atlas Atlas Fallen. Atlas Fallen, Atlas Fallen where it's just like a 15 seconds of gameplay, but like at least give people something because at this point CGI trailers are always going to look so good that like people have come to expect like that gameplay could look like anything. And we need to see that to know if we're going to be like hyped for it or not. Mm-hmm. Like another game that made a positive, you know, left a positive impression on me was friends versus friends from raw fury kind of looks oh, like it is on. gameplay similar to neon white where it's a shooter, but you also have cards that fuel what powers you're able to use. And it opened with this very, what would have been memorable on its own, 2D animated, um, kind of like Adult Swim or like, you know, 2000s Cartoon Network aesthetic. And then at the end, you got this beautiful blast of first person uh, chaotic gameplay. And I'm like, okay, like, not only am I going to remember the aesthetic and kind of art style of this game, but I know, now know what the gameplay is like. Mm-hmm. So I like that structure as well. Now, Nick... You're stewing with some sort of hot take. I got a hot take. Um, All right. So this is informed because I was at Gamescom. I I think it was 2019. It might be 2018, but I was there. And the impression that I had there, like it was a triple A and first party developer extravaganza. Um, The lines around the cyberpunk booth at that time were like trying to get on a ride at Disneyland uh borderlands had like a full theater going with like a massive experience and they had people like in incredibly well done cosplay going around and doing like laser tag in the halls of game of gamescom like it was like it was a wildly expensive but very cool activation that they did um and then sony had the first playable demo of the final fantasy 7 remake and those are like sort of three massive tentpole industry standard bearing games that I didn't see um, during yesterday's showcase. Like, I don't think I saw one. Um, and it called into question for me the effect that COVID has had, not just on our developers, but also on our marketing, right? I think it's a function of two things. One, a lot of these First party and AAA games, we all know this. They've been delayed multiple times as people have adapted to work from home, right? That that changes how you make games, blah, 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 blah. It takes longer, sure. Two, on the marketing side, everybody who's a first party developer now has their own showcase, right? Sony's doing essentially their own versions of directs. Xbox has their own shows. Nintendo's been doing direct for years. And... They have seen lots and lots of success with that model. And as a result, they're not going on Jeff Keighley's show. And I don't know what that means for the future. I don't know if as development resumes to our sort of natural cycle, if they'll come back to Gamescom or not. It's sort of a similar conversation to E3, right? Like, do we all need to be in the room to learn about video games together in an age where we can stream video games on Netflix? Right? Like, it's just, it's wild to me. So that's my hot take. I th- I think us, PR people, and probably journalists appreciate when it's spread out. Mm-hmm. But from a marketing standpoint or, like, sales, it probably makes sense to have huge events where consumers can go to an event and see all these new games or tune into one showcase to see, like, what's coming up. Because if you have all these events, like, I just from... 
hearing when my brothers talk about it, they might know one showcase is happening, but then I tell them about all these other ones and they're like, I had no idea there was like six of them this week. I only thought there was one. Um, so it can get confusing and I think a lot of games get left out and missed that way. Mm-hmm. And on the other hand, like many of the games that we saw yesterday probably wouldn't have made the cut. Right. Right. And it was it's really cool to give non-first party developers this chance to showcase, you know, the the games that they've put tons of time, effort and passion into and all of that. It's just it's it's a massively different marketing landscape and is honestly reflective of, you know, conversations that you guys have had on this podcast in the past about E3, but these trade shows used to exist because big box retailers needed to know how many copies of God of War they needed to have on the shelves. Right? And the best way to do that was to have every video game in the same room and see which consumers reacted to the most. And then you'd be like, oh, I probably need an extra million copies of that God of War thing and probably a million less of that other game that didn't show so well. But as a marketer, the risk of becoming that second game where it's like, I need a million less copies drives people more to these these other showcases and other opportunities where they can have their own standalone moment. And it's just this fascinating like combination of multiple factors that are all affecting the industry and not just our industry, right? Like COVID has obviously changed so many things about our lives. Um, but this is just, this is now two years after essentially our first shutdown and we're still feeling these effects pretty dramatically. It's like it sped up the natural process yeah. of how things would have gone anyways but companies were forced to pivot and change how we make games and change like do people even buy physical copies anymore there you've got stores like or store companies like playstation that didn't they just like completely end essentially their in-store really i missed this i i like don't want to speak incorrectly (laughs) Quick Google break. Yeah, Does quick. Does have like a jingle they can play? Like, like a Google jingle that we can go with? Like, um, uh, every podcast needs this, the Google search oh, break. Geez. Of course, I'm getting their latest lawsuit. They did something, or maybe it was Target. <sighs> One of I, these I don't know. I, I can't like, Google fast enough. But basically, I think it's pulling back on the amount of stuff they're placing on a shelf in stores because a lot of that product is just sitting there and not getting moved except for consoles because no one could get a console so they would go in store and get it that way but for the most part people do not go to a physical store to get it anymore you can't see me on camera right now but i just turned around and i was looking at my game library which is on a shelf right behind me and um like a, the very quickest of scans shows the latest physical copy of a game that I have is Watch Dogs 2, which I think came out in like October of 2020. Wow. <laughs> every, every game that I've purchased since has been a digital copy. I think my last one was Red Dead Redemption 2, and that's because wow. it came with the PS4 Pro. Uh, it was like the bundle, and that's when I bought that. You know, bringing it back to HBO <laughs> Max... <laughs> Buy your favorite shows. Buy your favorite physical <laughs> media because digital, you do not own it, and there's no guarantee that a company will not take it off of their platform. If you like something, buy it physically. I was going to say, I'm the odd man out here. <laughs> I know I'm always the exception here. Where I'm like, oh, I bought something. I bought a game physically last month. <laughs> uh, Get no, with the times. Great. You're supposed to be our like millennial digital <laughs> native here, Sam. No. I'm the old man who goes to the store. No, I'm the, I, I'm the weird one who will be buried with my Blu-rays. <laughs> I buy, I have changed my ways on DVDs. I buy a lot of DVDs now, um, and I own countless number of books. I'm drowning in them. But games, it's just convenient to be able to just play it. Like, I don't have to go find the disc and put it in for some reason. <sighs> I haven't gone back to buying a physical disc for a game. But if you like a game, go buy it because you never know. Well, much showcase stuff to look forward to. I mean, Nick, you make a very good astute point about just the how the Nintendo Rex, the PlayStation showcases, whatever Xbox doesn't brand theirs exactly, the, the E3s that they do. 
um, does leave room for like the Atlas Fallens and the Lies of P to become the the talking points of these showcases. Whereas like if those you know the third if the first party showed up at these things like they used to, um, that wouldn't be the case. Um, you know like. I feel like PlayStation kind of threw Jeff a bone yesterday with their controller. Uh, um, maybe just, you know, to get the news out there before the holiday season. Uh, but yeah, I mean, rumors are swirling that just like the last two years, PlayStation will do a showcase in September, just like they did in 2020, 2021. And that would very much explain why we're probably going to see a lot of the big publisher and first party stuff we're familiar with in about a month from now. So we can circle back to this then. <sighs> I hope so. I want some big surprises. Dead Island 2 was a good surprise for me. I liked that. Yeah. I, but I I was expecting a couple bigger surprises. I want to see Spider-Man 2. Oh. It's supposed to be next year. Oh. <laughs> we want to just talk Famous about that. We have like a whole agenda here. We can just talk about that. We can. We don't have to follow the agenda ever. <laughs> It's not like a client call. Did I just like give you the power? You oh my god! I, like, I feel like I've just yeah. yeah, yeah. I'm gonna, I'm just gonna keep repeating my I'm bad. I am the captain now, Joe. <laughs> but yeah, there's that. That's rumored, but confirmed. Marvel Showcase, Marvel and Disney Showcase on the ninth. Um, so you know why didn't we see what did they confirm is gonna be there? Midnight Suns. That was at Jeff Keighley's thing last year. It's because Midnight Suns is gonna be at the Disney thing in two weeks. So. Black Panther's coming, y'all. Black I, Panther the game. I, I really hope so. Hope so. Or Blade. Yeah, or Blade. Yeah. Blade would be sick. I, More I sword fighting. Sick. We're back. <laughs> yes. Give me all of the sword fights. There or, we go. Um, who's making the Wolverine? I don't know if that's Also Insomniac, somehow. Insomniac, yeah. That one's going to be. I can't wait to see how they figure out how to make Wolverine like a swinging traversal machine because <laughs> like that is not the Wolverine that I know. He's not exactly like the world's fastest traversal guy, but uh, that's sort of their calling card, right? Yeah, that's a good point. I wonder what they're <laughs> gonna be do. Weird. That would be weird. Oh, I just hope he has like a super jump or something weird, right? Like he's like a, like the you know how the Hulk in the movies jumps yes, for like that's exactly 3, how I was feet. picturing yeah. him jumping. Or maybe he can climb buildings with his claws. Yes. <laughs> it's an Assassin's Creed game. <laughs> you just climb, yeah. <laughs> climb buildings. No, we should stop and just go pitch this to Insomniac. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, the podcast has to end. Now we have a very important meeting. These ideas are too good. So good. Important brainstorming to get here. Well, let's find out how Nick got here with all these great ideas. <laughs> He hasn't always been. I mean, maybe he has been. I've, I've only known him these past two years of my life, but I'm going to imagine it hasn't always been such a fountain of great ideas like Wolverine super jumps. <laughs> what? Yeah, I don't know how he got there. Nick, we're going to talk to you a bit about how you got here to Triple Point and your journey through the PR industry thus far. How did you get started in PR in the first place? I can do the very short version or the very long version. Um, I'll, I'll try to keep it in the middle. Love it. But you guys cut me off if I'm going too long because okay. it's, it's, it's a journey. I'm getting the air horn um, ready. <laughs> no, seriously. Uh, let's see. I went to college. Um, uh, I was raised by two attorneys, and I thought I was going to become an attorney. Um, that had always been kind of my life plan. Uh, and then I did two years of college and realized that multiple more years of college was definitely not in the cards for me. <laughs> Um, there's this thing that you have to do in college called studying, oh. which um, I struggled with for those first two years. I did turn it around eventually, but those first two years were hard. Um, and so I realized at that moment, like I, I'd, I'd been studying government in my preparation to enter law. And I went to the, the registrar and I was like, I want to change my major to marketing. And they're like, cool, we don't have that as a major. Um, so I decided to take as many government classes as I could that focused on political campaigns, um, and try to use that as a vehicle to learn about marketing. What I quickly learned in those classes is that political campaigns are like, yeah, there's a lot of marketing, but really what it is, is communications. Um, and it's a, it's a very unique communications challenge because you have these bills, right? Like the, the one Biden just passed, which is like hundreds of pages long. And you have to, you know, 
communicate what's in it in 15 seconds in a way that um, folks who have not completed high school and have multiple advanced degrees can understand equally. Um, and so I got really, really interested in how that played out in communications. And I started, I wrote, uh, my whole thesis was on Barack Obama's use of the internet, uh, in his first presidential campaign. And I wrote this, it was probably like 80 pages long, um, whole half a book on it. And then I graduated and I was like, I think I should work on a political campaign because that's what I studied. Um, I started making the rounds and started realizing that uh, the way you get started in political campaigning is hitching your horse to a wagon and hoping that horse wins the Kentucky Derby, <laughs> um, which is hard to do when you've never been a horse trainer before, right? Like you don't know who these people are going to succeed and all of that. And you hit your horse to the wrong wagon and it's really hard. By the way, um, those, those there were the metaphors. You did it. There's yeah. some sports metaphors. I, I was it. almost asked if those counted as sports metaphors. They kind of do. Are horses sports? We could talk about that too. Um, so anyway, long, very, very long story short, uh, I graduate college and the career option that I thought I was going to pursue is a non-starter. Um, I am talking to a couple of my friends who graduated a, a semester early. Um, I had a, a neck injury playing football in college, so I graduated one semester late. Because uh, I had to go home and do physical rehab and stuff. Um, so all of my friends had entered the job force, and I was sort of like using them as my, do I want to do this? Do I want to do that? Do I want to do this? Do I want to do that? I talked to uh, my buddy, Alan, um, who is now at Epic. I believe he's the director of communications over there. Um, and he was working at a tech PR firm in San Francisco. And San Francisco was where I wanted to be for personal reasons. Um, I was dating a girl who lived <laughs> in San Francisco, so I wanted to follow her there. And so that, that was like, okay, I can try this. Like, it's kind of like similar to what I studied. Like, and, and so I applied, um, I made it in there, and uh, I started to work on lots of Series A, Series B, Series C tech companies. Um, the the sort of mantra at the time it was a very optimistic time in tech before Facebook had turned into whatever your opinion of Facebook it is today, um, and everyone was out there trying to be like our company's going to change the world and you know as a comms professional like you got to do a little more than that. Um, so it was it was a really interesting place to start my career and get exposed to everything. I worked on everything from like HR software that like helped your recruiting funnel to uh, chubbies, short shorts for men. <laughs> um, I, I launched a flying car. Uh, I, I got to do all kinds of weird stuff and expose myself to a lot of different areas. And then about three years in, um, one of the partners is walking around with his iPhone. He's just like holding it up. He's like, has anyone played this game? We're pitching them in an hour. And I was like, oh, it's a game? Me. <laughs> I, no, I couldn't see what the game was. I have no idea. Like, I, It was Cut the Rope, oh, um, which is yes. a great game that yeah. many people have played and enjoyed. But we had a new biz pitch with them in an hour. And the guy was like, I, I'm not sure who I'm bringing. I was like, oh, uh, me. So I ended up uh, being a big part of the pitch. And uh, we won them as a client. And my exposure to video game PR was as a video game player. Um, and as somebody who really was just like reading IGN and uh, playing AAA games, I, the approach that I recommended to cut the rope was let's market this like a AAA game. Um, and people were not doing that for mobile at the yeah. time, right? Uh, so that ended up working. We sort of zigged where other people zagged. And it worked really well, and it ended up winning us a couple more clients in the mobile game space, and I was able to kind of focus my way there. Um, and that that had kind of been like my goal. It's like, okay, like I'm starting in tech PR. I don't want to work on recruiting software for the rest of my life. Um, <laughs> God bless that company. I'm not going to name them, but that was a tough sell for me. And I want to get to video games, and I just didn't know how I was going to do that, and this was my my way in. Um, so from there, I then worked at a couple other agencies and then I went in house at star citizen, uh, I was there for about two years and, um, then I came here. I, that's the long version. Did Sorry. it? No, no, this was great. This explains, I mean, partly in some way as a young or at that time, teenage reader of IGN, um, you're probably the reason I downloaded cut the rope. <laughs> like, well, don't age him. Sam. It worked. Yeah, I'm just kidding. <laughs> 
Hey, no, I love this. this no, it is did. Just, uh, I'm putting this on my resume. The reason Sam Mosher <laughs> downloaded Cut the Rope. I just say that because like that's like a, you know, ask me like top five favorite iPhone games of all time. Like, boom, Cut the Rope. Easy. Yeah. I don't know why I downloaded it, but I did. <laughs> and I didn't play a lot of mobile games either. I had You're su- welcome. Sudoku no, and I played that every day. But I did have Cut the Rope and I loved that game. So... Nick, prior to like having that opportunity presented to yourself to pitch Cut the Rope, was games PR something you were cognizant of? Like, I know you said that was kind of like you viewed tech as this stepping zone, but when did games PR become like a clear destination? Um, like day three. Nice. <laughs> yeah. Like, I mean, like, like as I became like, I got hired at a PR firm, I kind of knew what PR was. <laughs> Right. Like I had a pretty good idea, but you learned a lot. And then day three comes around and like someone had explained to me like the pitching process and this is how we secure a story and like very like PR 101. And then I went to IGN to just like read about Mm. games. I was like, oh, oh, they must have done this stuff. (laughs) And it was like, and then, you know, at that point I was like, okay, like how do I get really my goal at that point was like, how do I get to do Madden PR? I want to hang out with Patrick Mahomes and, you know, like, and throw the football with him and then, like, simultaneously do work. Well, right? not after you're... that, not after that face you made about the Chiefs earlier. <laughs> I know. But you're going to well, hate he's a cover that athlete. my last agency that I was at had the Madden games. And I, that was the first time I kind of learned about video game PR. And I had that same, like, light bulb went off. And I was like, how do I do that? And I, they were like the consumer team and I was in the tech team and I was like, I want on that team and I could never really get on it, but they worked with Patrick Mahomes. They went to the NFL draft. They did the cover and I'm sitting in the corner seething in jealousy. And I'm every week I'm like sending an email and I was like, can I be on this team? What can I do? And they're like, you can join a brainstorm. But like, I was never added. I was like, I will take what I can get. And so then when I left that company, I was like, okay, games PR it is, or nothing. (laughs) I was fully determined. I was like, it's going to be video game PR, or I am changing industries and doing something completely different. Because I also didn't want to do PR for like HR software companies, because I was also doing that. And it's hard. It is hard to sell something when it's not something like you use or passionate about. It's like, you can do it, and you learn how to. But it's just not as fun. I don't know. I mean, it's just like it, it. I get fired up to come to work every day, right? Like yeah. we, we learn about things before the public does. And there are so many times where I'm on like a client call and I'm like learning about a game for the first time. And I just have to be like, don't fanboy out. Yeah. Don't fanboy out. Don't fanboy out. You know, like it, it's it's just I mean, we're very fortunate to work in an industry that we all love and are like so passionate about. And and we get all these secrets, you know, it's just, it's, I, I, it's, it's awesome. I have to pinch my palm when that <laughs> happens. I'm like, stop, control your face. <laughs> yeah. So totally agree. And obviously that's, I, I mean, for me, speaking for me personally, I know that would be the difference if I were to work in like tech startup PR versus here is just the, the natural interest I've had growing up playing games and being passionate about not just the, the games, but like following the industry Nick, in your experience, having worked in both, are the mechanics or like the day-to-day of the PR much different or is it mostly just the the mediums? They're, I actually think they're super different. Um, the easiest way to boil this down is going to be another metaphor because that's what I did. <laughs> um, but in, in video games PR, you have usually one product that you're working on, right? And that one product has a very set launch period during which they're going to make most of their revenue, right? They, they generally, most games make most of their revenue right around where they launch. When you're working with a, a tech company who's providing like a software service, that is not necessarily the case, right? Like they are not making most of their revenue right when they launch the product. In fact, it has a very long tail. So what does that mean? It means that when you're doing games PR, you start the marketing way before the games come out. And when you're doing tech PR, you generally start the marketing the day 
the product comes out. And then you start indexing into interesting use cases that customers have found. And like, this is how they've used this tool to become successful in this arena. Right. Whereas in, in video games, it's more like, I don't know, let's say it's God of War. Like I'm going to do, I'm revealing the ax right now. Should I reveal the swords? No, I'm not going to reveal the swords because that's going to be a special treat for like no spoiler first time playthrough where people are going to lose their frigging minds when they unlock this thing for the first time. And how do you figure out the push and pull between the selling points that you have with those wow moments that you want to have at launch, which then do lead to that a longer tail, but in a one month window within launch. That's interesting. I hadn't thought about the launch cadences of that. Cause like you look at what is maybe not even inarguably the biggest gaming hit of this year, Elden Ring, which is like right. a master of fighting that like they, they, breadcrumbed enough out to get people super excited but there was so much meat still on the bone that like february to what felt like may was elden ring season yeah elden ring season can that be a reoccurring <laughs> season every year I like it. i'm coining I, it i hope it's not because i'm so I, I like i can't play i'm so bad <laughs> I just die constantly and then like get sad. <laughs> oh, I like Not the really. I like the exploring. <laughs> just, just doubt my abilities to play video games. Like I, it makes me feel my age, where I'm like, mm. I mean, I'm probably I never, too old for this now. I, I I'm never like Danny Glover, just constantly saying I'm too old for this shit. <laughs> so we've compared the tech startup uh, stage of your career to the gaming PR stage. What about the in-house having worked at Star Citizen versus agency, both gaming PR, but I'm sure the day-to-day -day looked a lot different working on one thing versus several things at a time. It was, it was pretty different. Um, it's different in that when you're on the agency side, you don't have, a lot of times, you don't have those sort of formative conversations as people are sort of trying to figure out mm what to even call a feature or a product, right? Like very frequently when we get brought in by our clients, they're like, we are launching this thing at this date and it has these, this, these are the features. How, how are you going to slice and dice that into a PR campaign? And when you're in-house, it's more of like, we have a concept. Um, and here's the thing that we think we're building. And do you like, it's almost like you're a focus group uh, or like a, a tester at times where they're like, would this play well? Or like, would streamers like this or whatever, right? Like, could we tweak this feature for streamers? And then there's also in-house, there is a push pull between um, live service marketing and what I would say like launching or moment marketing. Right. Um, Star Citizen is a very unique game in that it is in open development and releases whatever it is they're able to develop um, every quarter like clockwork. Right. And so a lot of the task was like we would make progress in various areas of the game that may not necessarily tie together thematically. Right. So like there might be like we finished the mining ship and like great, this patch is going to be all about mining, except nothing else about mining is finished, <laughs> right? So you're, so now it's like, okay, like how do I do the marketing on this mining ship when nothing, like, and you really have to figure out like working with the tools and the channels that you have, working with my community team and with our video team, like almost a campaign for every feature in a way that can be modular so that you can pick things out and be like, okay, this maybe didn't make it for this time, but we can still use it later. And now we'll the campaign will just activate later, mm -hmm. right? And so it was really thinking a lot, um, a lot further in advance while also being a slave to the moment mm -hmm. um, and figuring that out at the same time. That's interesting. And I having all my PR experience be in-house, that does sound cool to have that, to, to kind of collaborate with these different teams all working toward the same goal in the way that we do here, but uh, sure. on a larger scale, I guess, maybe depending on what you're sure. working on in house. I'll give you a, like, I'll tell just a very quick story. Um, we're at we, we, Star Citizen does a, a yearly event called CitizenCon. 
right? And at CitizenCon is where they do the, a big demo presentation. They talk about all of the fun new stuff. They talk about plans for the year, blah, 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 right? Like the standard sort of gaming event. Um, one of our developers at Star Citizen had developed this sort of new game mode that was really cool and really exciting. Um, and it was just this like very like high octane combat game mode, right? And it was really fun, really fun to work with him on how we're going to message that. And he uh, had put together a presentation for CitizenCon where he was going to unveil this game to everybody and talk about what it is and why we're playing it and what it does. And part of the, the fun part of Star Citizen is like every piece of development has to serve the greater overall vision of Star Citizen. So how does this sort of game mode contribute to the eventual future of Star Citizen when it actually is finished? Um, and he came in and he his presentation was like, let me tell you all about the lore, <laughs> right? And because he was speaking to Star Citizen fans, that's appropriate, right? Like people who already know the sort of ins and outs of gameplay and things like that, it totally makes sense. But we had to sit down and be like, we're not just talking to our community here, right? This is the the one day a year where all eyes in video games are taking a look at Star Citizen. And if you start with lore, you're going to bore some people to tears before they see that really awesome, cool gameplay that you've spent so much time on. So let's flip this presentation and think about like the right cadence and messaging in order to not only serve our community, but also bring in some new players at the same time. And that is not something that necessarily at an agency side you would be faced with, right? Mm -hmm. Like that conversation happens. Our clients have that conversation internally and then bring the stuff to us. Yeah. Usually we get it. There is no changing what they're going to present. Usually. Usually. So Nick, you brought us from the, you know, the college revelation to today. What, if you could go back to Nick making this decision, getting started on the PR track, what advice do you wish you had known? Oh, man. Um, I mean, there are so many that, you know, we could do six podcasts on it all. I think the big one um, is before I spent time in-house, I never really understood why we couldn't change this. <laughs> right? And so I would like – I'd have this – like oh, not a fight, but like I would have this energy to be like, but my idea is better. And a lot of those conversations, like I am not Albert Einstein. I'm not reading. I'm not inventing a wheel here. I'm not, I'm not creating something for the first time. Right. Like these conversations have already happened for the most part. I'm not coming with any new information. And when I had the, when I would have those conversations at my past agency, with uh, with clients, they would get a little annoyed, as they should be, right? Because they're like, now we have to have this conversation again with our agency? Like, we already did this internally, right? And, you know, if I had known that, I would have I, I would have been a better communicator and a better collaborator um, with all of those folks. And, like, I truly, like, looking back at some of those moments, I, like, cringe where I was like, no, you should do this differently. And they'd be like, Nick, we literally already covered this 10 minutes ago in a different meeting. Like, shut up. Um, so I wish I had known that that aspect of it, what it was like for, for folks in-house so that I could apply that perspective to how we would interact. That's interesting. And I'm, I'm fascinated just by, like, having those different perspectives of the different realms that you've worked in another one you you noted earlier the difference kind of in-house um or tech pr or more specifically tech versus gaming pr was this idea of like a product launch versus like something that's more evergreen you're always trying to find new angles to um promote or or reach press with uh and in some ways you know in the last 10 years gaming has some games have fallen into that latter category um, not just, you know, a thing that comes out in November, you want to be under the Christmas tree and, or whatever holiday gift you're giving, and then you move on to the next one. Um, now often it's, you know, how do we keep people playing it year round and the year after that? Um, how have you learned and translated that? Exp like, have you been able to apply any of that experience from past kind of more evergreen products or clients to more evergreen living games? It's a really interesting 
point. It's not one that I really thought of before. Um, honestly, they're not all that applicable, except in some cases. Like when you're talking about people sit, people, every game is a live service right now, right? Mm -hmm. Every single game is a live service. The reality is they're not actually a live service, right? This content is, is planned out and launched very methodically years, months, weeks, years in advance in most cases, right? And so like, yes, there is a little bit of like an in the moment, today is the day, <laughs> it's coming, right, whatever, um, when you do a live service game, but you still, it, it's really just sort of never turning off the planning part of your brain because you're always like, okay, the game is launched, like what's, what's coming with season two, mm -hmm. right? Season two is just another launch. It's not necessarily an evergreen, always on campaign. Now, sometimes you want to do some activations in the interim between launch and season two or whatever. But again, those are like, it's essentially just like launching another title, even though it's housed under the same umbrella. Mm. I don't know. That, Does that make no, sense? That totally makes sense because <laughs> okay. ultimately like the game is still changing in ways that perhaps like a tech service product, the, you know, the unique value proposition is usually never changing. Whereas like with a major game update, it might have a completely new selling point in it, like a mode that completely overhauls what you understand the game to be. Um, and you're right. That's like, we see that as, oh, it's it's still this game, but, you know, look at No Man's Sky. That game is so fundamentally different now than it was when it launched five years or six years ago. Jeez. That was like a necessary game that was forced into True. live yeah. service. <laughs> I don't know if that was ever planned. Right. That was more, we have to. Or this is a huge loss. Mm -hmm. It was like a break in case of emergency, <laughs> yes. right? Yeah, I mean, like I, I was going to bring up um, another game that was in the showcase yesterday, which is Destiny Two. Mm. Um, last season of Destiny Two was this like very emotional, hard hitting storyline about like overcoming trauma and grief, and it was like it was very, very deep, and like there were real like heart moments in there that were sad and like depressing and like that was the story they they chose to tell this season you are fighting space pirates mm -hmm. and you launch out of a, a space cannon to another space it's like broadsides you know a vast matey and the boss's name is r <laughs> is the boss's name you know like R? yes 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 like there's there's a robot there's a robot who you fight that is called skur dash v scurvy right <laughs> it's a it's a, it's awesome it's great dumb wordplay it's a stupid pun it's funny tonally the shift is huge right so like yes your marketing should be different right mm. and like yes you need to do all of that stuff but i hope the the pr folks and marketing folks at destiny didn't learn about this showcase or learn about this new season during the showcase yesterday and like had a plan to address that tonal shift and highlight why it's important and why it matters and why people should be excited about it. Right? I mean, I've never played destiny. The pirate expansion reveal made me interested in it. And then I saw them tweet and they're like, we're coming for your booty. And I was like, right. Great. <laughs> I'm in. Right. Right. And like literally the last season was like one of the main characters in destiny was reliving, losing his son. Oh my God. Right. And now we're off doing like space pirate adventure. And it's like, yo-ho, yo-ho, pirate's life for me. Like it's it's almost like a different game, but it's in the same umbrella. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Every time I see something about Destiny, I, I like unless it says Destiny, I'm not actually sure if it is because it's always so different, which is good. Variety is good. So that brings me to my last question I wanted to ask you on this subject of living in the age of live service games even games you don't think are live service games like you know mario golf uh what's the title it's a super rush like that's still getting dlc um like i don't think any like you know normal person would call that like oh it's a live service game in the way that like destiny 2 is but it's still a game getting content and so in this age of ongoing games pr how do you keep people 
specifically in our case, press interested um, in what we have to say when perhaps, you know, some of the luster is lost when the full thing is out or it's been out for a little while. It's different in every case, right? And like, I, I don't know. We say this a lot of times to clients and it, we say it as like a selling point for triple point, but I truly believe it, right? Like if you have a playbook, you're doing it wrong, mm-hmm. um, right? Like you should build your playbook based on the strengths and weaknesses of your product, right? Like you shouldn't have the playbook before you understand the product. But in general, I think um, there are a couple things to think about. One is how much information is enough, right? Like you need to, you now know you need to sustain coverage and interest and create multiple moments for this game for like weeks, months, years, whatever, right? If, for example, tomorrow Destiny put out every single detail of every single upcoming season from now until the end of Destiny, it would be very difficult for Destiny to get coverage later mm-hmm. except for like oh this season feels great or it doesn't right <laughs> so a lot of it i think comes down to really getting an understanding of like how do you make your campaign feel like every single moment is peeling another layer back on the onion right like i want to get a little deeper i want to understand a little bit more and i want to have something new um and to do that you need to work backwards from launch and understand, all right, here's where I want it to be at launch or announce or whatever, right? And then work backwards to what is the sort of bare minimum? And I hate to say that in a place where like reporters could hear us, but the reality is we're trying to give reporters what they need to create a compelling story without telling them everything so that they have to come back the same way a consumer does. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. And and I'm curious, how does that change when it's something that's being updated consistently where the line gets blurred between what is big versus what is just a weekly update? It, it's got to be grounded in research, right? Like if you, if you go on a client call and you don't have enough of an understanding of your product and probably like, I don't know, the five to 10 closest competitors and what worked for them and what didn't work for them, it's going to be really hard for you to be successful for that specific client, right? Like I'm not saying that we steal things, but if we should pay attention to what has worked and we don't necessarily need to reinvent the wheel, we just need to know which, which wheel to fit. Right. Yeah. Does that make sense? Like, yeah. it's like the same thing with the playbook analogy I made before. I can't stop doing metaphors. <laughs> so I will now. Well, I'll interject one. I mean, it's, it's hard to succeed when you have your like head completely buried in the ground. Like, you know, yes. you need to be paying attention to what's working. Yeah. And I wouldn't say it's you look for things to copy one for one. It's more we take influence from things that either worked really well or we really liked and maybe it didn't work, but we're like, we know how to make it work. We could do something. We see what they did wrong and we can change it and hope that it works this time. Right. It's like, take this idea back to the lab and like fine tune the dials yeah. a little bit so that it can like vibrate at a better frequency. Yeah, Another metaphors. dumb metaphor. Sorry. I love it. a lot of sports. We've had a few onion metaphors. <laughs> Onions. onions. Sports and onions. Those are apparently my onion. topics. Yeah. Uh, did I do the onion more than once? You did it twice. I think ah, you, called, you called yourself an onion, and then you just that was I that did? was my fault though. I opened oh. and said Nick had a lot of layers. Oh, you oh. did. So oh. I set him up for that one. And then I started thinking about ogres and onions. <laughs> Cakes right. have layers. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, let's take these dials and tune them down to the end of this show. Uh, This has been Real-Time Strategy. Nick, thank you so much for coming on this week. This has been a blast. Thanks for having me, guys. Yes, thank you. Come back anytime. I don't don't know what I say at the end. Is there anything... Are are you a social media person? Do you want people to follow you anywhere? No. Don't follow my Twitter. (laughs) It's uh, at nickandrickshep.com twitter or whatever don't follow me there unless you want to be inundated with probably like 60 to 75 tweets about the chargers every sunday 
We need oh, more podcast people that when they're asked at end of shows, like, oh, where can people find you? They go, no. Don't. You should Don't really not play. Me. Like it. If you were interested in anything that I had to say during this podcast, don't follow me on Twitter. <laughs> How's that? It's, no, it's, no, every once in a while I'll tweet about fan. work, but it's like it's really it's it's my place to vent about my football team that I wish was better than it is. It's I love it. I read like all of them. I go to our little. Tri- <laughs> I have the triple point list pinned on my Twitter, and so I go and look at what everyone tweets. <laughs> a lot of times it's just me, <laughs> but then on Sundays. It's you, and I'm like, love it. Oh man, I need to be using the Twitter lists feature. Yeah, I didn't. It's I. It's or, pinned, or so it's on my home, like my home Twitter feed is like you're normal, or I swipe, and then it's the triple point one, and so I just look at. It's all just triple point people. Huh. So I could stalk my coworkers. <laughs> you can follow me on LinkedIn. How's that? <laughs> Caitlin, if people want you on their Twitter lists, where can they find you? I also feel like I should say don't <laughs> unless you want just horny memes and tweets about movies because that's my brand, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> You'll see it, Destiny booty tweets. Um, just kidding. Sort Scurvy. of. Scurvy. Scurvy. Yeah. You can find me at Caitlin Redwing, playing Jane, just on Twitter and everywhere else, but I probably just use that one. But you know what's not a plan, Jane? The content. Woo! I gotta leave with a bad joke. Yeah, we need some (laughs) drum sounds there. You can find this show at Real Time Strats. Email us questions at podcast at triplepointpr.com. And on that note, thank you all so much for listening. And goodbye. Bye.